Thanks for tuning in to PLR Podcast. This is Alex. Uh, you may hear a faint noise in the background of this half episode. That is a fan that's blowing directly on my face because it is really hot in this turtle shell. Uh, so sorry if that annoys you. I hope it doesn't. I tried to block it out as much as I can, but here we are. Uh, if you haven't heard already on the Instagram, on the Twitter, or wherever it is, Facebook, we have a shirt drive that's going on uh, in order to benefit Youth Pride RI, which is a great organization. You can listen to our last full episode for uh, some explanation of who they are, what they're about, how you can help them besides buying a shirt. But the proceeds for these shirts, we have various styles, not all sizes, unfortunately, uh, but the proceeds for it are going to Youth Pride directly. Um, so, you know, you'd be sporting Providence Leftist Radio around town and also helping a enormously uh, valuable initiative. Also, if you haven't heard, we have a lot of things going on at the podcast Um I, Alex, am in the works right now with some other folks in the Providence Leftist Circle of organizing a uh, library, a community library, both an organizing space and uh, a place where we can share ideas, we can share our passions for uh, films, uh, other books, we could do readings together, just a general organizing space. Now, I don't want anyone to think that this space is particularly for one political party, whether it's a DSA or, or for the podcast even, or whoever it is, we're going to try to make this space as inclusive of all leftist organizations that we possibly can. Uh, that means that if people from the PSL or the Revcoms or whoever, or even anarchists want to come and use the space for organizing to organize an event or whatever they want, they're going to be able to do that. Of course, there's going to be some basic respect rules in place, but we will figure those out as the time comes. And then finally, if you haven't seen already, it's been everywhere online. I have been harassing Rhode Island PBS and also the Providence Journal. Uh, on July 24th at Revival Brewing, we are co-sponsoring and we'll also be tabling uh, a art event. Uh, and let me describe this art event for you a little bit because there's a lot going on in the flyer, flyers, and it might be confusing for you. Uh, for one thing, the, the most important, the focal point of the event is the artists that are the centerpiece. And so we're going to have artificial walls built for you to walk through and view the art. Uh, some of the artists will be selling the art, so if you want to buy it, you're more than welcome to. Uh, but some of them are just showing it. We just want to celebrate local art and artists. There's also going to be live music, and we tried to diversify the genre of music as much as possible. So there's some punk, there's some dance, there's some hip-hop, there's also uh, DJ music. There's as much as we could get in uh, on the lack of budget that we had. And there's also going to be uh, 15 vendors, that is, people selling their wares, their crafts, their art, their anything you want. And in the vendors area is where you will find the PLR table. We'll have our shirts and merch there. And you'll also find a pop-up book sale for Red Ink. It's going to be uh, all the proceeds from the pop-up book sale are going to go directly toward uh, supplies for Red Ink like paint, 
Um, and uh, I think we need molding on the floors. There's a lot of renovations that the, the space actually needs at this point. Um, but that money is going to go there, and it's going to be you pay what you can for a book, uh, anything a dollar or more. And we're going to have a whole bunch of leftist books, history books, zines. There'll be a lot there for you to pick from, uh, and I think that you're going to enjoy it. So keep an eye out for the July 24th event. Come by, say hi to me, Andy, or Evan, uh, and, you know, patron, local art. This is what it's all about. It's all about fostering community. That said, this half episode, I have sort of a treat for you, I guess. It sort of depends on how much faith you have in me in interpreting these things. But Verso Books recently put out this manifesto for the 99%, uh, Feminism for the 99%, a manifesto by Cynthia Aruza, Tithi Bhattachara, and Nancy Frazier. Uh, I read this manifesto. I did really enjoy it before I get into talking about it and uh, going over the theses that are in it. I just do want to say, first of all, that I, I share the sentiment. I share the, the basic ideas. And I think everybody should pick this up and give it a read. Now, what I figured I would do is go through this and first read the theses. So the book is organized in terms of 10 theses, uh, as a good manifesto should be. And uh, I'll try to avoid getting into too much commentary about each particular thesis. We can, you know, we can have long conversations about each one. A lot of them are, are pretty basic and I think broadly agreeable. Some of them, uh, well, we'll get into it. So the first thesis, uh, and I should say before getting into it, that this book sprang from uh, uh, partially the, the Polish feminist protests that happened uh, not too long ago, and the continuation, the perpetuation of what they refer to as neoliberal feminism or f liberal feminism, the poster child of that being, as you can imagine, Hillary Clinton. So let's get into this first. Let's read these, these theses and just do some broad commentary. The first one is, a new feminist wave is reinventing the strike. And it seems like a bold statement, but uh, based on, as I said, the book springing from uh, the Polish, uh, femi Polish feminist strikes that happened earlier, there's sort of some, some truth to it. Uh, by making visible the indispensable role played by gendered, unpaid work in capitalist society, it draws attention to activities from which capital benefits but for which it does not pay. Though this is a basic, I think, argument that uh, leftists across the board all agree on, that there is such thing as gendered work for which capitalism does not compensate, one of those being uh, reproduction, one of those being uh, emotional labor that is done. So this is, this is basically summarizing an argument that we've all been toying with. Thesis two, liberal feminism is bankrupt. It's time to get over it. I think that when they say it's time to get over it, they're referring to, I don't know, maybe the 1% that still actually have faith in liberal feminism. And by liberal feminism, they mean, they mean this sort of uh, feminism whereby uh, the ideal, the, the, the aspiration for women should be to 
become the new bosses or become the new heads of their office or whatever it is. And they're arguing that actually all you're doing in that case is just replacing one boss with another. You're not actually fostering an, an equitable anti-capitalist type of feminism. So that breaking the glass ceiling, a.k.a. Hillary Clinton, uh, is still perpetuating the power st structures that uh, we as leftists are seeking to undermine and destroy. Um, so liberal feminism is indeed bankrupt. Thesis three, we need an anti-capitalist feminism, a feminism for the 99%. Uh, basically the same as the previous thesis. This is just uh, emphasizing what exactly they mean by feminism for the 99%. We propose rather to join with every movement that fights for the 99% whether by struggling for environmental justice, free, high-quality education, generous public services, low-cost housing, labor rights, free universal health care, or a world without racism or war. Broadly understood, we can all accept this. Basically, their feminism, the feminism that they are supporting and trying to get everyone to stand behind, is one uh, that is inclusive, that understands that all of these aspects of environmental catastrophe uh, of labor rights, of housing shortages, um, are all stemming from the same problem, and that is capitalism. There's no doubt about that. Thesis four, what we are living through is a crisis of society as a whole, and its root cause is capitalism. Again, uh, I think similar to the previous thesis, this is something that we can all understand, that uh, uh, that capitalism has been responsible for all the crises that we face right now. We'll get into uh, what or whether they offer any alternative, but um, based on the publication by Versa Books, you can imagine what that alternative is. Marxism. Thesis five. Gender oppression in capitalist societies is rooted in the subordination of social reproduction to production for profit. We want to turn things right side up. Now, I originally read this as sort of on like bordering uh, uh, turfism um, because I, d I wasn't fully understanding that specific line in capitalist society. So what they are dealing with in this thesis is addressing what the state of what it is in capitalism, not necessarily what they want it to be. Uh, and that is to repeat, gender oppression in capitalist societies is rooted in the subordination of social reproduction to production for profit. That is generally an argument uh, that, you know, even Frederick Engels made in uh, The Origin of the Family. And that is uh, that private property is the origin of uh, gendered, the gendered separation of labor, delegation of labor, or what we know as gender labor stereotypes, uh, created with private property in the interest of uh, the patriarch of the family wanting to continue his uh, ancestral line to inherit property. Um, so that meant that men had to, uh, quote, men had to raise the money, go out to work, and women had to stay in the domestic sphere. And capitalism wants to keep it that way. It wants to maintain those gender roles uh, because it's invested in gender normativity. It's invested in this division 
of gendered labor uh, so that it can subordinate social reproduction to production for profit. Thesis six, gender violence takes many forms, all of them entangled with capitalist social relations. We vow to fight them all. Generally, another thesis that I think we can all uh, agree to, gendered violence does take many forms, and it's not just people who are born assigned female at birth, but people who are also not born assigned female at birth. Uh, it is good to acknowledge that gendered violence takes many forms. Uh, acknowledging those forms and seeking to eradicate that form of violence in leftism more broadly. Thesis seven, capitalism tries to regulate sexuality. We want to liberate it. This, I think, is important. Uh, this is a, a very important one for today. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of talk and there's a lot of um, buzz around the sex trade. Uh, for good reason, right? Because politicians now, neoliberal politicians, are, are getting closer, you get the sense of legalizing certain forms of, of sex that were previously considered taboo. I mean, I think like 10 years ago, uh, something like an OnlyFans being uh, something that, you know, someone you knew doing was kind of not within the realm of possibility of most people. But now it's more common. But what we have to keep in mind is that OnlyFans, as a platform, is owned by somebody who is therefore profiting off of uh, somebody else selling their bodies. And so, as they argue, to normalize once taboo forms of sex within an expanded zone of state regulation and in a capital-friendly guise that encourages individualism, domesticity, and commodity consumption. So... Again, we have to be careful of uh, these forms of the sex trade that we're acquiescing to uh, because in the, on one hand, they are very liberating, empowering forms of, uh, of gaining income for, for, for sex, basically. But on the other hand, we have to be careful that we're not being inadvertently exploited by somebody else and therefore kind of just contributing to the system itself is sort of contradictory to be uh, boycotting something like Amazon, but also be uh, working with something like OnlyFans, because on Amazon, you can sell your own stuff. Amazon just gets a cut of that profit, no different than selling an image or a video or something like that. It's just something to consider, although probably this thesis is one of the more controversial ones, which is why I think uh, it's interesting. Thesis eight, capitalism was born from racist and colonial violence. Feminism for the 99% is anti-racist and anti-imperialist, of course. As a, uh, as a book that purports to be leftist, published by a leftist press, by nature of communism or anarchism, whatever you are, it must be anti-racist and anti-imperialist. Um, it's probably a point that might not even need to be a thesis in general. Uh, thesis nine, fighting to reverse capital's destruction of the earth. Feminism for the 99% is eco-socialist. I love this point. You can, you, you can bet your ass about that. Anything that recognizes the catastrophic place that we are in um, as a species, 
in relation to the planet right now is something I'm on board for. So if they if they see feminism for the 99% as something that is eco-socialist, that sees the ties between gender oppression, gender violence, and environmental degradation, hell yeah, I definitely agree with that. Capitalism, uh, thesis 10, capitalism is incompatible with real democracy and peace. Our answer is feminist internationalism. Now the problem here with this one is it's it's generally good, right? Uh, capitalism is incompatible with real democracy. Yes. Otherwise, there wouldn't be no 99% or no 1%. Uh, and it's also incompatible with peace, right? Because peace, uh, capitalist peace is maintained through violence itself, uh, which is a bit of a uh, quagmire, I guess. Um, but our answer is feminist internationalism. Now, other than having connections across space uh, with other like-minded people, I'm not sure what they mean by feminist internationalism. Now, with that, I can turn to some subtle critiques of the manifesto. And the first one is that uh, we always have to be careful, or we always have to be cognizant, at least, of where or who is publishing the books that we're reading, right? So I think the fact that Verso published this is important because Verso has been in the game for a while, not just with this book, um, but also with Rodrigo Nunez's uh, Neither Vertical Nor Horizontal, which is another one that I just read, uh, Verso has been in the game for a while of uh, kind of promoting these books, uh, these theses, as things that are bridging the ideological gaps between uh, anarchism and communism, right? So neither horizontal nor vertical refers to neither the organizational form of revolutionary practice nor the vertical form of revolutionary practice, neither communist nor anarchist, right? Uh, but then the book goes on and it just talks about how uh, uh, organizing is essential, it's necessary. So it just reverts back to the communist idea of organization as necessary for any revolutionary moment. And this book, Feminism for the 99%, makes a similar move. So on page eight, as a result, the new feminist wave has the potential to overcome the stubborn and divisive opposition between, quote, identity politics and class politics. Disclosing the unity of workplace and private life, it refuses to limit its struggles to those spaces. And by redefining what counts as, quote, work and who counts as the worker, it rejects capitalism's structural undervaluation of women's labor, both paid and unpaid. All told, women's strike feminism anticipates the possibility of a new, unprecedented phase of class struggle. Feminists, internationalists, environmentalists, and anti-racists. That emphasis on class struggle is so important because uh, in good Marxist form, this isn't bridging a gap between identity politics and class politics. It's bringing it back to class politics. This is still fundamentally about class politics. Uh, I sort of feel like with this passage, they're trying to have their cake and eat it, if that's the right use of that expression. I'm not sure. But they're trying to bridge this gap of identity politics with class politics, 
but also at the end just saying, but actually this is about class politics, which I, I think is sort of unfair, especially because uh, nowadays in leftism more broadly, identity politics or, quote, allyship uh, as it relates to communal uh, communal being either communist or anarchist politics, quote, comradeship is a huge debate that's happening right now um, that I think is deserving of a little bit more attention than just this uh, little passage. And finally, the other critique that I'll, ha- that I'll provide of this is that uh, it is a wonderful, uh, detailed extrapolation of these general ideas about the feminism for the 99 percent literally feminism for those people who are not hillary clinton or aspiring ceos that is great uh and it's also making the case which i also love that this new form of feminism is not exclusively for quote women or uh or or quote girls or whoever this is for everybody broadly on the same page comrades and other in other uh, sense, all leftists, people who are involved in the environmental struggle, people who are involved in anti-racist, anti-imperialist, anti-colonial struggles, uh, labor rights, tenant rights, all of that. This is for all of them. And I think that that, that effort of trying to bring them all together is great. And, and Verso has done a lot to, to try to promote that kind of legitimate bridging of, of gaps. Uh, but it offers no tangible... Uh, blueprint for what to do moving forward. So now that you've formulated the idea that this unitary camaraderie movement should exist, how do we go about actually making it? How do we go about propagandizing it? How do we go about sharing it with people? I mean, uh, I don't think that this book is free, but if it is, that's one step in propagating such an idea. Um, but, you know, Verso also has to make money somehow, I suppose. Uh, but there's sort of no, no blueprint for what to do going forward. So while I think this book as a manifesto, and I watched an interview with Tithi, who, who was very explicit about this is not the end of the conversation. And I did appreciate that. She acknowledged that uh, there is some things missing from this, but at least this gets the conversation started. And so, in conclusion... I think that what I'm doing now by presenting this book to you in podcast form within 25 minutes uh, is doing that work, right? I'm trying to get the conversation going. So if one of my interpretations or opinions about one of these theses uh, rubbed you the wrong way or didn't sit well, message us. Let me know. uh, Because I think that this is the sort of conversation that they want to get going. Um, I don't claim to have any kind of monopoly on feminist theory or feminist praxis, and uh, all I'm trying to do is be a good comrade to um, people who are more well-rounded and well-experienced in the feminist struggle. But as they said here, it's not just about the historical feminist struggle. It's about uh, incorporating the struggle of leftists broadly conceived in whatever form whether green, purple, red, or black, whatever form you take. Uh, and I think that in that case, this book is uh, worth reading.
that's all I got for you. Thanks for tuning in to PLR Podcast. Uh, if you like what you hear, go to the Patreon, subscribe. It really helps us a lot. Um, it's hard to do this every week and put out episodes for you every week, but we do it because we love it. But it would also be cool if we got something in return and we use that money to pay the mutual aid organizations that come on the show. Uh, we have t-shirts that are on the, uh, what is that, Big Cartel website. Uh, keep an eye out for Red Ink Community Library and also keep an eye out for the July 24th art show. And come and say hi to me, Evan, and Andy. Until then, well, actually, we we will have another episode before then, I believe. But in any case, uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>